The following is a discussion that took place on Thursday, January 23rd, 2020. It was between several men in the Lewis County proper area who all have the vision of seeing a Reformed church start in the Centralia Chehalis, Lewis County proper area. During our last Reformation Roundtable discussion, we were discussing the YouTube video uh, put out by R.C. Sproul titled, What is Reformed Theology? Uh, we actually played the teaching and then played for you the discussion that ensued after the video was uh, watched by all of us men. This week is going to be a little bit different. We actually have all read an article, or actually a chapter, an entire chapter from Douglas Wilson's book, Mother Kirk. And the title of that chapter is Reformational Identity. And I'm going to have it linked up. I'm going to have a scanned copy of it linked up in the show notes so that you can, if you haven't read it, read it as well and get a good idea of the case that Douglas Wilson sets out for what makes a Reformed church or what is what are the things that make up the Reformational identities. Now, of course, uh, whenever anybody is going out to set a definition, there are going to be differences amongst other people, amongst God-fearing men, as to how those uh, definitions have been set. And so really, the following discussion is us as men discussing how we agreed and where we maybe departed from Douglas Wilson's view, basically on the question, what is Reformed theology? Or what should Reformed evangelicals believe? The reason why these discussions are so important is because if we are going to start a church, if we are going to start a Reformed evangelical church, there has to be a great amount of unity in some of these basic theological premises. And where there is ability for di divergence to happen, we want to make sure that we are being uh, gracious with one another where that can happen. And there, where it can't happen, where uh, the divergence goes into the realm of no longer being reformed, we want to figure those out now. So that's what the following discussion is. If you're interested in joining us on this quest, I'd really re uh, encourage you to reach out to uh, myself here via the uh, SoundCloud audio download. You can just reply to it and I, I'll see those. Or you can reach out to me at my email address, joecstout at gmail.com. We want to see the glory of God proclaimed in Lewis County. And we feel that the doctrines of grace and all the many other things that come around the ideas of Reformed theology, we feel like this is something that the community does not have right now. It is something that the community is missing out on, and we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus to, if it would be his will, build that in our community. Hope you enjoy the discussion. These talks have been kind of centered around, obviously, we've listened to some RC, and we were going to talk a little bit, and I don't know how in-depth we need to get into the article, because he, of course, takes large swaths of uh, different reform doctrines that could fill books and, and you know, kind of condense them down to a couple paragraphs. But, but I thought it would be helpful, maybe before we got into R.C.'s talk, would be to just kind of go through this and, you know, I read through this and, you know, it's not like I go through here and I think, oh yeah, I agree with every single thing he says, but, but the general spirit of what's presented, you know, he's, he's my guy. You know, he's a, he's a pedo-baptist like I am, he's a pedo communion guy like me, so I understand that not everybody's going to have the same hearty amen behind everything that he's saying, um, 
but I mean, he, he goes through kind of the five points, although he doesn't call them the five points, which I think could be helpful. He goes through the, the five solas and what the Great Commission is actually calling us to do. Um, uh, he talks about eschatology and uh, what a reformed position on eschatology should be. Um, so, you know, I, I would read through here and I would think if I had like-mindedness on this kind of thinking, this is, this is a pretty good representation of where I am. But I know it might not be a good representation of where everybody else is, or, or it may be. And, and maybe that's what we can kind of discuss and find out um, now. Yeah, I appreciate kind of him just starting out as saying, you know, we really don't, we don't really need to hang our hat on the label, but yeah. in these days, you kind of need a label. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, you kind of right. need to distinguish yourselves because of um, other labels being lost yeah. to culture and to other worldly desire. Yeah, clear, clear definitions are very important. Yeah. Yeah, that part I was wondering, though, because I think there's, you know, once a word becomes owned by someone, it's hard to use it and still have it mean something else. Mm. And it feels like he's, um, not, this might be my own ignorance, but my understanding is reform has usually referred to what he's saying it's not limited to. You know, in the second paragraph where he says, well, we're indebted to the work done by leaders of what? What is historically known as the Reformation, and while we are self-consciously building on their doctrinal foundation, we do not intend. And then he goes on to say, well, Reformation, reform really means that we're reforming all the time. Hmm. Um, I don't know if that's what reform means in the reform tradition. I mean, hmm. I might be wrong about that. Sure. That's what kind of bugged me about the Banner article that we talked about. Yeah. The guy was taking the same pose. Right. But he was using it much more broadly. Like, <laughs> yeah. you kind of got to keep reforming all the time. And I keep thought up he was saying the reforming the Bible, too. Like, reforming. Well, the he didn't say reforming the Bible, but reforming, reforming our theology. Yeah. And which is, you know, I mean, um, and he didn't explicitly say the sources, although he did kind of talk about science, didn't he? That we got to keep up with science. There were like new developments mm -hmm. in science. And no, actually, I didn't even read that whole article. Oh, okay. So I can't speak to that. But it was, so, um, and, and that's not what he's saying at all. Sure. But I, I feel like if that's what he wants reform to mean, it's not really going to mean that to most people when you say the word reform. But then but if you look yeah, at Augustine, or Augustine, depending on how you pronounce it, he, you, you know, he was alive hundreds of years before Calvin existed or before there was, you know, a reformed tradition, so to speak. But is he our guy or not? The, he's our guy. And, and he's, you know, a lot of people would say he's a lot of the foundation of what uh, Reformation Christianity looks like. Um, and I think Wilson's point here, which I think is maybe if I, if I can uh, kind of defend it a little bit, is that wherever we are in the story, we need to make sure that we're where the Spirit's moving. Mm -hmm. And so when it was just Catholics and there was nothing but Catholics, then there was a, there was a faction you know, or, or a group of people within that that were reforming in the sense that they were seeking to understand God and you know, push the gospel forward. They weren't looking, you know, it's like I'm, I'm always reminded of what the Pharisees um, say when they hear that, 
Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, they said, if the Romans hear about this, they're going to come and they're going to take away our power. They're going right. to take away our, our, our influence. And so to them, what was important had nothing to do with following God or obeying God. To them, it was all about the status quo. Right, right. And so for the Catholic Church, by the 16th century, that's what the Catholic Church had become. It had become like, we want the status quo. We're lining our pockets. We're the ones living in the gold houses um, and while the peasants are trying to get their loved ones out of hell. Um, and so that's why he, he lists off the, the Catholics, the Waldesians, the Huguenots, the Calvinists, the Methodists, the Puritans, all different people in different times that basically were the remnant, even if they were a large portion, the remnant of people who actually trusted God and believed God. And so, I mean, within the Reformed <clears throat> tradition now, there's all kinds of apostasy. I mean, in the well, I guess that's what I'm saying. You're, you're defending what I agree with. Okay. <laughs> I, I like this definition of reform. Yeah. I don't think that's the traditional definition of reform. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Oh, I see. I, I'm yeah. saying, like, if this is really reform, then I'm all over it. Yeah. But I don't think, when you hear a reformed church, I don't think that's what most people. But I might be wrong. I mean, yeah. that's not what I've heard. Sure. I mean, that's not what the Presbyterian church is saying, I don't think. I agree. So, I mean, yeah. I, that, that's just, that was kind of eye opening to me to read that, that if that's. If there's other people besides him saying that's what reform is, I mean, sure. the, the banner guy was, but I didn't like that. Yeah. that was, well, he was on the other side of the spectrum. So. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. I think that was like, uh, oh yeah, all things can be reformed. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's just, saying he's saying we need to reform evangelicalism. We need mm -hmm. to have a reformation of the church because it's fallen away from scripture. Yeah, right. It doesn't adhere to doctrine. Continual reform because it's yeah. you know become this loosey goosey anything goes type thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think I would probably agree with you too, Thad, in that my the CREC is the the form or the brand of ref, ref, reformed theology that I'm I'm only familiar with. Yeah. And right. so I every now and then I'll get it. I'll see like different little uh, glimpses of other reformed thoughts, and sometimes it can be pretty pigeonholed into the five points, and that's like what it means to be reformed. Mm -hmm. And I and I've never. I've never been a part of that, so I can't really speak to it from experience, but I can see that if that's all you know about what reformed, being a reformed Christian is, is just the five points, then yeah, I mean, it's definitely limited in terms of understanding the full breadth of it. Yeah, I mean, I, he, what he says, unlike modern evangelicalism, we must not deny these, uh, no, excuse Where me. Where are you at right now? Uh, I was actually on, I was, uh, I was on page 30, uh, no, not page 37. I was actually, I was reading a piece, a piece that I thought he was making a different point. Um, I think that uh, where you're um, the, the, the Banner magazine guy and him are divergent at the core of he saying, we, we're not reforming ourselves to the Bible like we need to. And then maybe the Banner guy is saying, you know, we're too stuck in our old ways mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. We need to, exactly. you know, broaden our horizons, so to speak. Um, as he goes in on page 38 through 39, um, most of 38, uh, second half of 38 and all of 39 is, is basically the five points of Calvinism. Is there any of those five points, you know, labels aside that we find not, you know, similar viewpoints on? Um, I think this is a little bit before that, but I was I was kind of interested. He says this means the ministry of each local church 
yeah. must have, this is on page 38, about mm-hmm. halfway down, okay. must have men who understand the original language through which God revealed his word. Hmm. It's kind of an interesting and strong statement. Mm-hmm. Um, and that concerns me a little bit because I've known a lot of people that have claimed to know the original word and they were very dangerous Bible you interpreters. Mean, Greek or Hebrew. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's one thing to know the original languages. It's a whole hmm. other thing to be able to understand, understand them and read them and translate them. And so if he's saying that we don't have good... Um, Bible translation, so we need someone local to really, you know, ferret that out. That 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 I don't know. I don't know if that's what he's saying, but that I, no, I, that's I think what he's I don't be saying that. I think he's saying that um, the the uh, that to know the original languages is something that should be highly valued in your pastor. Yeah. Okay. Um, which I would agree with. I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, that's that's how I read it. Or at least have the the. Um, the understanding and the, the knowledge of how to properly utilize resources to exposit from the original languages. Yeah. Even if, you know, they don't have a good grasp of the language itself. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying I think is dangerous. <laughs> well, I mean, so right. anyone can pick up an electronic Bible that tells you what the Hebrew says. Yeah. And then you think that you understand the Hebrew then. And I think well, that's I'm a, saying they have a good enough grasp of the language that they can do that safely. Yeah, because okay. they understand the context of what's being said, right, right. how it's being said, etc. Well, and you, when you look over at page 39, Wilson's quoting George Thorogood, so... <laughs> Where is he doing that? Oh, uh, he's saying the result is total inability on the part of each sinner to seek after God, unless this is the total depravity of man. He says, if you don't believe that, listen to George Thorogood's song from the Destroyers. That's bad to the bone. Bad to the bone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's even talking about himself, right? Oh, right, this guy's <laughs> yeah. he's been out listening to his rock and roll. Yeah. I yeah. love that then the footnote says, for a better understanding of this doctrine, please see George yeah, oh, yeah. and the Destroyers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, footnote 17. That's good. I didn't see that footnote. <laughs> that's great. What? Yeah, that's, that's a Wilsonism Wilson right there. <laughs> Um, so I, I kind of broke this down into the last paragraph of page 38 is that um, God is the sole author in, of sovereign grace. So that would be the, the election, you know, the election of saints. Um, the, the next paragraph on top of thir- verse, uh, page 39 there is efficacious redemption, which, you know, is a, is a better label than limited atonement, but it's the same idea. What does uh, efficacious mean? Efficacious means that uh, God's, uh, that Christ's atonement, that His pain for your sins actually affected something. That's effective. Yeah. 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 It didn't. It didn't. It wasn't just like a potential. It wasn't a potential atonement that you have to choose, but it was effective, meaning that it cleansed mm-hmm. you. Second paragraph would be the uh, resurrecting. He calls it resurrecting grace, um, but just that the also known as irresistible grace. Um, resurrecting grace, of course, is once again, it maybe appeases our, you know. Mine's a little bit better than to say irresistible, but third paragraph is, you know, total inability or, or um, being dead in our sins. We're not sick in our sins, we're dead in our sins. And then the final thing is the perseverance of the saints or the sustaining grace. Um, as we read through his, you know, not just the, the bumper sticker tulip definitions, um, is there anything that we really don't, find comment or you know find uh, agreement on when it when it comes to those those doctrines
Mm. Well, you and I have had plenty of discussions about this. I don't know if we need to revisit that, but well, I think it would. I don't. I wouldn't be opposed to it. I. I think that it seems like uh, when we've had our discussions in the past, it's been more labels once again that you've kind of had uh, been kind of uncomfortable with. Yeah. I just um, like his interpretation of is this Thessalonians five twenty four? Is that what he's? What what paragraph? This is on page thirty nine. Oh, Let me look at what that says. It's uh, every forgiven. He says every forgiven sinner may be assured that God will complete the work of redemption He has begun. And then he quotes First Thessalonians five twenty four. Yeah, I want to see if that's if he's quoting this one that I think he's quoting. As faithful is he that calls you, who also will do it. That's the first Thessalonians 5.4. Yeah, or bring it, bring it to pass. Or bring it to pass, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then what's uh, Romans? Oh, Romans 8.38. I don't know what that is. Eight, oh, 8.31. Oops. That's right before 8.38. Oh, if God's for us, if it's against us, yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, I think in, in thinking about starting a church, this is, this, one, I like one of the things R.C. said, I can't remember if it was the last time we met or the very, his very first talk, in, as he was describing the different various branches of Christianity, he was talking about the Reformed branch, they... One of the things that, that really defines the Reformed branch is a, um, a belief in a kind of a guarding of or a protection of the doctrine of God's sovereignty. You know, like, we all believe God's sovereign. All Christians should believe that. Most Christians do. But how far are you willing to push that? How far are you willing to believe that God is sovereign in all things? And for a lot of Christians, they're willing to take it to a certain point and then, and then no further. You know, there's like a, a certain point where there's certain areas where God is not ultimately in control because he's got to leave some room for our, our free will or for our ability to respond to the call of the gospel. You know, he's not going to force us into it. He's not going to make us robots, that, that kind of argument or that kind of alignment. And so that's really, I mean, what the five, doc, the five uh, doctrines of grace come down to is like, how far are you willing to believe that God is sovereign? Um, and and it's, not, it's not an easy, you know, Answer. There's <laughs> there's a lot of implications to it, but that's but I think that could be a good thing to discuss a little bit now because that's a uh, that'd be a f pretty foundational part of of a church. Yeah, I mean I, that's one of the places that I think we've had some discussion about that. I mean I absolutely believe that God is sovereign, but I don't think by me saying that I have some choices to make takes away from His sovereignty, and that's something that. That I've, I don't remember where you fell on that, but I sure. know I've had some discussion about that before. That that's one of my hangups with the five, the five points of Calvinism is that um, so I feel like it's talking out of the side of their mouth that he says we don't have to make any decisions, and then we say, well, yeah, you can make decisions. Obviously, there's a lot of decisions you make, but but if it gets too close to the, you know, and and I 100% believe that, I mean, it's very clear in the Bible that man cannot come to, onto Christ on his own. Mm. And that's absolutely, there's no doubt about that. 
Yeah. But to say that we're completely free of making any decisions, um, I mean, it, it, it also says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I mean, so what does that mean if we're mm-hmm. not responsible to making some decisions in this area of salvation, you know? Yeah. And again, my concern, I, I do not at all want to take anything away from salvation or the sovereignty of God. That's absolutely 100. I mean, that's sacred to me. Yeah. But I also don't want to excuse myself or any of anyone that I'm talking to from, right. you know, you're either called or you aren't. If you aren't, then nothing you can do about yeah. it. And if you are, then don't worry about it. You know, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, the area where I get, I get a little bit you know, sure. dicey with. So, yeah. What do you think about this? I've heard it said that man's free will is established in God's sovereignty or words to that effect. If God is not comprehensive, universally sovereign, we don't have free will. We're ruled by chance. Hmm. Well, even worse, we're ruled by sin. Hmm. Without the salvation of Christ, we're ruled by sin. And freedom in Christ, I mean, it talks about freedom in Christ all the time, and I don't, I don't think that's the same as free will, but you know, I mean, it's vocabulary. But mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we don't have the freedom to make choices apart from the salvation of Christ. Um, but under the salvation of Christ, I mean, there's there's decisions that are possible, and I so I, I don't know. I mean, it's something that's kind of um, fuzzy to me as far as how do I work that out? Right. How do I work out? Because I, I see there's some pushback that if God's a c- completely sovereign, then how can I have any play in you know accepting Him as my Lord and Savior? Yet the Bible tells me to accept Him as my Lord and Savior. So. You know, how, what do I do with that? Hmm. And if you're saying that if I, if I pretend like I have any say in it, then that means I don't really think he's sovereign. Well, I do think he's sovereign. <laughs> and I do think there's some play in it. I mean, I, I have some play in it. So I don't know. It, you, know. It, you know, it almost, it almost reminds me of, because I've heard, I mean, the caricature of the hyper-Calvinist, I've always heard, and I've yet to ever meet one. <laughs> you know, the hyper-Calvinist that says, you don't, you know, there's nothing you can do. We're all, you know, I'm, I'm sure they exist. You gotta move to LA. There's kind of down there. <laughs> well, I've, I've never met one. Um, I'm sure they exist. Well, no, but you I don't think, want to move to LA. Actually, yeah. <laughs> I think that the I think what may be going on though is that um, in, in to fully embrace the sovereignty of God is not the same thing as rejecting the mystery of God's sovereignty and our response to submit to Him. You yeah, know, He's the King. For sure. We we what what is what is the gospel? But declaring that the King has come. And that he is calling you into his kingdom, and you need to bow the knee willingly, right? Because right. you'll bow the knee, you know, you'll bow the knee one, way, one way or the other. One way or the other. Um, and so, under not being able to fully comprehend how that all works is not really the point, as long as the the beginning is always with God's sovereign, and I'm not. Yeah. And I don't know how I'm supposed to respond to him, and so I will. And then once I do. Then uh, I heard one guy say that uh, that election is a family secret. You don't really learn about it until after you've made your decision to become a Christian, and then you realize that it was God that drew you in all along. Right. Yeah. And so it's there's a lot of humility in like, wow, I didn't do, I didn't even make the right choice here. <laughs> you know, God God's grace was drawing me in. It's almost like the Trinity. It's like the kids want to want me to explain the Trinity to them. Well, there you can't. Our scientific minds can only go to here. And the Trinity is way over there, over the horizon. It's so far beyond it. 
Uh, and I kind of think that play between man's responsibility and God's sovereignty is there too. We start with God's sovereignty, and from that, man is responsible for his sin. But if God saves him from that sin, man has no glory to share in that. Sure, yeah, I have no problem with that whatsoever. They must talk all about that. I mean, I've listened to these legionnaire guys. It's not like they don't cover this kind of stuff. No, absolutely, they do. Yeah, yeah they do. And R.C. Well, I mean, I know that I've heard him make this argument. You know, he gets this question all the time. Sure. Uh, at conferences and has on um, especially in Q and A, you know, and it's like this type thing. He's answered a bit a hundred times. Is that where the "What's wrong with you people?" yell? <laughs> uh, did you see that one? No. Where he yells at the whole crowd, "What's wrong with you people?" Uh, I, <laughs> I can't remember, remember that, that one. Yeah, that's right. R.C. Sproul does that. Yeah, yeah. it was. They, 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 he, I, apparently, he answered that question a bunch of times. Oh, yeah. He's <laughs> like, they gave me this question again. Anyway, that's how you can get it on T-shirts. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think part of that comes back to um, what he would say in, okay, yeah, can, can you decide to pick up your remote and throw it out the door? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we, have, we can choose to do that. We have choices. Free agency um, is the term that's often used. Okay, so free agency, yeah. So you've got different levels of that, and there is a bit of a mystery between, okay, at what point do I have you know, an effect did I really do that, or you know? But guess what? God actually governs the laws of gravity and everything else mm-hmm. in the whole earth and the universe. And so it's like, okay, it's only because of God that this is actually going to fly and then fall and then hit the ground and make sound and all this other stuff. So, um, yeah. I think I think we can get really wrapped around the axle on all that. But knowing that God is sovereign and that ultimately salvation is of the Lord, mm-hmm. I think that's the big that's the big takeaway. It's right. not it's not just Oh, it's available, but it's up to you. No, it's available, but I mean, because I feel like that's the dichotomy. Right. It's either okay, if people understand that God is sovereign and salvation is of the Lord and of His glory for His glory, mm-hmm. or you fall on the other side of it, and it's well, no, God just made it available. Right. That's, Doug Wilson. I don't know if anybody here has uh, what's it called, Prime, Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he has a, a new series Doug Wilson has a new series on there called Reform Basics and the very mm-hmm. first one talks about this issue mm-hmm. is that with Toby Sumter? Uh, the second one has Toby Sumter okay. the first one is Doug Wilson yeah well I think that's probably a good thing to just kind of continue to push up against as we you know as we kind of think through all the implications because what I'm not hearing is you know I have these discussions with friends good friends uh, who can't can't wrap their minds around the idea that a god wouldn't just save everybody and that the 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 that the choice is ultimately with us you know that that ultimately which i wouldn't argue with them if i was talking to anybody in the entire world right now that's living the choice is with you you know it, from from the standpoint of you're finite god is infinite you need to you need to choose right now to submit to christ Mm-hmm. You, you need to do that, and it needs to be your decision. Um, even though I don't believe that if they do, that it's because they're making some type of innate good choice in what they're doing. I believe if they do, and if it's tr- true salvation, it's because the Spirit has brought them to the point where they're able to do that. Um, but, but I think that that's, it's, uh, it's not something we necessarily need to compartmentalize and, and you know say, okay... We've got all of these, we're checking all these boxes and we're good. We just need to 
all agree that God is ultimately sovereign, push that all out to the corners in every way, and then we can work through the details <laughs> as, they, as they come up. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I was reading through an argument um, between a Catholic and a Protestant on the perpetual virginity of Mary. And, and it, was, it was helpful to, to get inside the mind of the Catholic because his response was, well, you guys only believe in the Bible. And, and it was like, the, for the Protestant, it's probably like, well, that is true. <laughs> for the Catholic, the, the Bible is, is just one of many informing sources. And so the tradition of the church has just as much sway. Um, and so maybe that could be the seismic switch, uh, shift in the evangelical world is to look at the sovereignty of God the way Protestants look at the Bible. You know, we look at the sovereignty of God and we think, okay, this is, this is the ultimately... This is the ultimate reality that we that we live in is that God is sovereign, because I think most evangelicals don't really actually believe that. At least you know they'll they might say they do, but say they, they don't live lip service. Exactly, it's it's lip service. Yeah, they don't apply it to every right. facet of their life in the, in the way they guess, which right is why we think why I would think reform means something more. Right, the definition. Of uh, top of page 40, uh, and anybody can interrupt me at any point here. I'm just trying to move us through here a little bit. He's got the uh, first paragraph is all on the five solas. Scripture alone, God alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone. Um, I know RC's going to go into much more depth on that, but uh, uh, it's just kind of helpful sometimes to see where, where he's kind of going through some of these different sections. The second paragraph on page 40 is about the, um, the Great Commission. And that the great one of the things that uh, was revolutionary for me when after Elizabeth and I just had gotten married was that uh, when you so much comes back to the Great Commission, you know, it's kind of like so many people base their sermons around the Genesis one, two, and three because it's like the beginning of things. Well, the Great Commission was like a new, it's like a new beginning, mm -hmm. and, and um, one of the things that it says here, and, and he talks about this more on page forty-one, but it's just that. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, um, uh, and, and you know, baptize them and disciple them. Like preaching the gospel is about converting the nations. It's not. A, it's not just. A, and you do that one by one, family by family. But it's 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 a corporate thing that we're to do. Um, and I think I think that that's just it's really a helpful thing to think about that it's not just a. Uh, you know, a, this personal relationship thing that we're pushing. We're pushing for the absolute upheaval of all institutions towards the submission to Christ. I liked his example of comparing the, um, the comfortable Christian, Christian watching his 19-inch right. color TV compared to the, <laughs> the old Puritan tied to a stake. One's complaining about his... What, um, how do you say it? He said it really good. He lifts his head to, uh, what's the difference between these men? Very simple. It is a matter of faith in the promise of God. I say, well, one sits in ease and is overwhelmed with troubles. Mm -hmm. The other is surrounded by troubles and yet speaks the word that goes forth, conquering and to conquer. The first is one is life and what he thinks is a losing battle. The second is losing his life and what he knows is a winning battle. Mm -hmm. That was awesome. That's really, I thought that was a really yeah, great like paragraph. That, yeah. And then he follows it up with the, the, the 12 spies that go into Canaan, which is the same, you know, I mean, similar idea. Yeah, absolutely. That, Kate, that Caleb and um, Joshua had a different perspective than the other 10. You know, where I think he started to lose um, his objectiveness 
Wilson, mm-hmm. in which I have never heard these guys do. And that's when he gets into page 42 and he talks about the guy that's a dispensationalist. And, and, he, and he gives analogies, and people do this in arguments all the time, where they aren't really a true analogy, yeah. but they make it look like the, the guy that's dispensationalist or the guy that uh, believes that there, he says, oh, there isn't enough time to evangelize the whole world, so we better just give that up. That's about the fifth paragraph. And yeah. saying, well, who thinks that way? Why would he mm. even do that? Yeah. And I think he's like he, a straw man. I think he digresses, kind of, and he should just drop that out because mm. you start your church right here, and Alan's going to think a little different than mm. yeah. that, yeah. and you're just going to be stuck with it no matter where you go. And it doesn't mean that you necessarily think this this way. Um, yet, yet another says there is not enough time. Christ is coming back any moment, and the task of evangelizing the world before then is hopeless. And then he's going, but it's not hopeless. But I don't know who thinks it's hopeless. Hmm. I mean, there's lots of people that do, I suppose. But I, I think that you have room for a little bit of um, a difference in doctrine. Hmm. That and it doesn't mean you're, st- you know, he acts like your doctrine is really going to slow you down then, but he's got all kinds of doctrine he's living sure. in here and stuff like that. So he just, you know, the more I read, the more I'm kind of going, well, I, I didn't even know who he was. You know, I just thought, uh, who's Mother Kirk? <laughs> <laughs> in today's generation, or today's world, you know, the names. Yeah, I mean, yeah. all, Mother Kirk, all right. <laughs> I just didn't look. I just happened to run into the thoroughbred. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's good. I just it was a little bit of kind of like yeah. Oh, I've seen where these guys kind of go and they get a little bit. They kind of chip against the guys that don't quite go lockstep with them. Well, he's he's there's no question he's arguing a point, and he's arguing against what is by far the common theology, which is that Satan's the ruler of the world. Jesus is going to come back any time. And that this world is not our home, we're just passing through. That is by far the, the, the pre- prevalent evangelical worldview. And so he's definitely fighting against that from the, from the smaller side. Yeah, but these guys, a lot of these guys are, are definitely di- have differences in their theology, oh. but they don't seem to, Absolutely. they didn't seem to have a spirit of, you know, let's just focus on how we can disagree. Mm. Um, because if anybody that's read the book of Job certainly can see that God's in control of everything. Satan can't do anything unless he comes and asks. He came and asked if he could have Peter to, and God says, okay, you can have him. And, and, and what did he say to, to Peter, Christ? He says, I've prayed for you. Mm, yeah. And I mean, I'd like the Lord to tell me he's praying for me. <laughs> I'd be going, I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's good. But I mean, yeah. I, I don't think everybody buys into that, Joe. I think a lot of people, you know, even, even Ben at church, mm. I don't think he's going to buy into... No, I, I, I don't think so yeah, either. That right. certainly would not be Ben's argument. But I think that uh, sure. top of page 43, it says, the, scriptures, the scripture promises a glorious future for the progress of the gospel throughout the world. That's really part of the crux of his argument. And I remember... I gave him an okay on that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I gave him a B. Yeah. B plus, maybe. I remember, I remember when somebody, somebody pointed out to me in the, when, he is, um, when he's, talking to, he's talking to Peter and he's talking about, upon this rock I will build my church. And of course the Catholic Church thinks that means the Pope. And we don't think that. But, um, but, but he no. says that the... Uh, yeah, exactly. But he says that the gates of hell won't Peter prevail Pope. against her. 
And somebody pointed out, and I'm sure you guys have all thought of this, but that the, the gates of hell are defenses. And that means, that implies that the church is beating down the doors of the gates of hell. Not that the church is this, you know, lonely outpost surrounded by Satan and his minions, you know, being overcome until the Lord comes back and helicopters us all out. It's like the church is here to take over the world. The, the church is here to disciple the nations um, and that the gates of hell can't prevail. We will, we will storm the gates of hell. Um, and I think that is, you know, when I generally hear evangelicals speak, I hear, of, you know, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, we get that Maranatha, Jesus come quickly, not from the standpoint of like, you know, send your spirit, but like, just come back and get us out of here because we hate it here. Um, and, you know, this is too hard. This is too much. This is, this is not our home. You know, heaven's our home. You know, that kind of idea that we're just here temporarily and it's just kind of a minor inconvenience on the way to glory. Uh, whereas God has put us here to accomplish his work. We're his hands and feet. Well, if you read Revelation, you're not going anywhere anyway. Exactly. Yeah. You know, There's a new heaven and new earth. That doesn't sound like we're going somewhere else. Right. But anyway, I, I, I think the point that, I don't know, maybe you're saying, make a different point, Frank, but this is a point that I've gotten hung up with. Um, this guy's father or grandfather that I talked about. Saying yeah, Jim. That, and actually, um, what's his name? John MacArthur. Um, I listen to his teachings a lot and I really like him, but there's just some things about his countenance that really bug me. And it's the same thing I'm seeing here. So the scripture promises a glorious future for the progress of the gospel throughout the world. I agree 100%. Consequently, now this is the part that I have trouble with. Consequently, pessimism about the church's future is sin, the sin of unbelief as a correlate. So it's kind of like you're saying that if you don't see this the same way I'm seeing it, then you're sinning, you're wrong. You're out of here. And I just, I just, mm. I guess that seems, and I agree with him. I, I'm agreeing with his point. No. I just think that's too strong of a stance to say because I don't think that I have a corner of the market on interpreting scripture. And I don't think he does either. I mean, and he probably has a better, does a better job than I do. But, um, but, but to say on, on, a, on something like this, and, and I mean, I, I know, again, it's, I think there's, little, there's a lot of leeway in there. If someone's flat out saying, oh, woe is me, the church is gone, we've lost, that's one thing. I, I can see where you're, you're saying, whoa, that's, you're really out there. But someone who's not quite as excited about the optimism of, that he is mm -hmm. and saying, well, I don't know, there's some dark times here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I just, that seems like such a strong... We're in a growth situation as Christians. Our understanding and our knowledge of the word grows as we sure. continue to study, and it's easy to come from one position to another because of the maturity that the word brings to us and the Holy Spirit ministers to us. So yeah, I agree with you. Hmm. Uh, it's possible for people to have wrong positions. We all have wrong positions in some point or other, mm -hmm. so that there's room for all of us to grow, and that sounds like a kind of I like John MacArthur too, but I don't agree with everything he said. Well, it's when you make these statements like this guy. I mean, you just like call mm -hmm. someone out and just says, you know, yeah. like, come on, John. He's, <laughs> yeah, he disagreed with you, but is, is he really like an apostate or something? Just yeah. calm down. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think though that I mean, he, 
you'll notice he said that the sin is not the sin of rebellion or, you know, trying to replace God or, you know, the sin of pride or it was just the sin of unbelief, meaning that, that he's making the argument for good or ill that, that the scriptures are abundantly clear that Christians ought to have hope for the future. They ought to have hope for the progress of the gospel. And if we choose not to agree with that or we choose not to see that, then we're, un, we're, we're, we're sinning in, in terms of we're not believing the promises. Right. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I totally get that. And, and I even think that sometimes when someone disagrees with me. Yeah. But to call them out and yeah. say, I understand this theology. You don't. Therefore, you are suffering from sin, the sin of unbelief, because you don't agree with me, and I have an understanding of the scripture, and you're not getting it right. I mean, that just seems... I mean, if, yeah. it's, if we're talking about Christ being fully man and fully God, and you're disagreeing with me, I'm going to like, okay, no, we, we got to get serious here. Come on. Are you, that's a little bit, you know, but if we're yeah. talking about, you know, I mean, and he's even used it like in a test eschatology and stuff. I mean, there's a lot of like yeah. confusing things. And I, and, I, and I have a position, but I've talked to people that I really respect and that I think read the Bible seriously and they have a different position than me. I'm thinking, well, I, you know, I don't see what you're seeing, but I don't think I've got it figured out, hmm. you know? So I'm not going to take a stance and say, it's yeah. up with you. You don't, you're, you're sinning from unbelief. You're, you're lost, you know? Yeah. Now, I am going to talk with them if I care about them and say, well, I, I think this is affecting your theology. And if, and if you really believe this way, let's look at the scriptures together. Let's talk about it. Let's see. And maybe I'm out of lunch to lunch. Let's, let's look at it and let's figure it out because this is affecting how we run, you know, do our lives. But so his, I don't know. His, so I just, his third paragraph on that page, 43, says, The question is really a very simple one. We must ask ourselves this. Do we believe that the Great Commission will be fulfilled by the Church of Jesus Christ? with the nation's disciple baptized and obedient as a result, yes or no? If yes, then the task of world evangelism awaits us. If no, we must remember that duties do not disappear because of disobedience, sin or no sin. The same task awaits us, but, but with sin to confess first. So I, I think what he's saying, he's, he's, what he's trying to do is he's trying to move this doctrine into that doctrine that you just said. If somebody is, is um, you know, debating whether or not the Trinity exists, you say, wait a second, hang on, we're going to fight about this because it's sin not to believe in the Trinity, and you'd be right. But we didn't always think that. It took us several hundred years to get to the point where we would go to the map for the Trinity. We're not there with eschatology yet, but could we be maybe? 5,000 years from now, will we be at the place with our eschatology where we go to the mat for the, um, for the, the victory of the gospel? I don't know, <laughs> but, uh, but, I, but I would be more likely to think that we'll still be here 5,000 years from now, still fulfilling this great commission. I think mm -hmm. we're still just yeah. getting started. Um, and we've got to remember, I mean, even though there's a ton of nominalism in Christianity, we're everywhere. <laughs> and, you know, we've got tons of reformation within the church to go through. And, you know, there's fits and starts and ups and downs, and I'd say we're probably more in a down, certainly in West, the Western world, we're in a down we're in a down valley right now, but, um, but that, but I think that that's, he's trying to push this, 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 uh, doctrinal stance into a position where we all toe the line and where we, we maybe aren't quite so, well, you have your views, I have my views, and you just, I just believe Jesus is the son of God, and you just don't believe that, and, you know, we can both be Christians, it's like, well, no, you, you have to believe Jesus is the son of God, that's, that's clear, we know that, 
Um, and we just aren't there as a church on our eschatology yet. So maybe he's just jumped in the gun a little bit. <laughs> um, page 44, second paragraph down. I, talks oh, about, I was going to say that, oh, yeah. that sentence you actually just read, I, I disagreed with him. I don't think that is the question. I think the question is, did God command us? Well, then, what, I mean... The question is, God commanded us, and the Great Commission is a commandment, not a, not a, maybe think about this when you get around to it. So I don't think the question is, do we believe whether it's going to happen or not? The, the, the question is, did God say we were supposed to do it? And then the answer is, we should do it. I mean, I, I was confused by that. It seems like he was saying, we need to figure out whether we really think it's going to happen or not. I don't know, maybe I'm misreading that. But, yeah. but anyway, that's, I, I, I just, I made that little note over there on the side. But, yeah. But, Moving along. Yeah. Uh, paragraph 2 on page 44 uh, talks about uh, we need to be confessional. Um, with, of course, confessions being secondary to Scripture, but the Apostles' Creed, uh, Nicene Creed, the, the, any thoughts or viewpoints yeah, you guys have on, on confessional creeds? I put in big letters up here tradition that we don't forget about our tradition, that we stand on the shoulder of the theological giants, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, again, it's very, um, arrogant to say, all those past, they don't know what they're talking about, I'm going to take me and my Bible and I'm going to figure this out and mm -hmm. I'll, you know, I'll have a, you know, I think that's really important that however you tie into tradition, you know, and I think the creeds are, you know, obviously something that are, they're accepted widely by the church at the time when they were doing it, so I, I, I really, like that he included that. That's a, I think that's an important piece of. I mean, I agree that you know they they are important and they are relevant. I also though, um, did agree that he, with his affirmation of you know not claiming these are infallible or binding, right. you know, consequences, sure. and yeah. not that they would should necessarily be considered, you know, necessary for sign your life on the dotted line that I believe these in full agreement with these all confessions in order to be a member of a church. Yeah. Um, so I kind of was like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, they, they were written by men as confessions after the point. They're not necessarily, you know, yeah. scripture. But. but if you don't agree with, like, the Apostles' Creed, you guys explain them to do. <laughs> well, the, like, what yeah. exactly is it that you don't agree the with? The nice thing about the creeds is that it... You know, you could say, do you agree with the Bible? Yeah, yeah. I agree with the Bible. Okay, come on. Yeah. Okay, we need to maybe ferret that sure. out a little bit more. And, yeah. and the creeds do a great job of summarizing what I think, like I said, we've been talking about what's the, the, the things I'm willing to die on, the battles, you know. Mm -hmm. I think the creeds, creeds do a great job of, of in, in a short you know, paragraph, sum up what is really the main thing. You know, if you don't believe these things, you know, if, you're, if you can't agree with this, then... I don't think we're reading the same Bible and we're not, you know, yeah. we're should be the same Lord. So I think, but like you said, it's not scripture. It's not, you know. My boss is crazy. I mean, shoot, you're claiming to be Catholic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. First time I ever read the Paul's I was like, what is this? Yeah, exactly. First time I was like, what is going on? Can you explain like, this? And then someone explained it to me. I was like, oh. <laughs> Did we just say that out loud in a Protestant church? <laughs> like, wait, wait, they're putting that on the screen? 
Yeah. Um, the Catholics are brainwashing us. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I thought this the like the third paragraph down, you know, as far as talking about the qualifications for memberships and this not that all kind of like that all resonated with me just because as we're talking about, you know, doing the Bible study and doing you know meeting together and it's like, oh we'll see where this goes. When we kind of first start talking, I mean there's a little bit of me that is a little concerned that if we're starting a church, or that's what we're, you know, looking to do, our mm-hmm. end goal, you know, isn't kind of known as, yeah, hey, that's what we're looking to do. Yeah. Why is it that we can't, you know, find an adequate church in the area? You know, are we really that, really that strict, and are we really that stringent that we can't, you know, I just don't want it to become something where, like, oh, no, well, this, our church is perfect, you know. Right, right. And I know that none of us, we all not understand, I think. Yeah, right. It wouldn't be if no dad might be there. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what they brought me for. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, this idea, I think, is something that, I mean, I'm excited about, you know, what we're discussing, but I'm also kind of cautious a little bit and all of it, just wanting... You know, this is not, you don't want this to be like an exclusivity type thing. For sure. You know, right. you know this understanding that the, the great Christian truths are still true. And just like our Sue was explaining in one of the first videos, as far as, well, let's start here. You know, what are we? We're for all these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And these all resonate with the, the majority of the Christian churches as a whole. Sure. So I guess that's, I, I just felt like it was a good, maybe, for me just to say that. Just, yeah. If there's anything that I wouldn't want it to be, is I wouldn't want it to be like, oh, we're in the we're in the cool church, we're the exclusive one, but we're the only one. You know? Yeah, we're in the church. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we're and outnumbered by kids, four to one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, as they stand right now. That's, that's right. Right. Yeah. Anyway, just like a, kind of a grounding, like, oh, well, you know. Yeah. Even though he's talking about membership and how that works. Yeah. You know, but the the membership is very straightforward. He says. The doctrinal standard for membership is the confession that Jesus is Lord, and you have to in a Christian manner of life. So if you're not living that Christian manner of life, then you're going to come under discipline of your church. Uh, you know, if you're doing those things that require church discipline. So, so I agree with you. So let me ask you guys a question because I don't know if I would answer positive to this. So if there was a decent, I guess, reformed church, is that what we'd call it? Yeah, let's call you it know, that. I mean. Yeah. Who all would be going to that church right now then? I mean, I'm, you? Yeah, it depends if they let me commune my kids. I mean, that's... So, so you have things that... Absolutely. Have, and and right. most Reformed churches wouldn't let me do that. Right. I see. And so then, Alan, how about you? Uh, probably with caveats. Obviously, I don't have kids. <laughs> yeah. We're going to caveat this whole thing. I can see it. No, I'm, you? No, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I was... Distracted. I didn't no, I hear you. I've been uh, uh, so. I mean, <laughs> I've been distracted a lot. <laughs> I'm so bored. <laughs> I can't remember where I'm at. Uh, what I'm just generally asking. I mean, this is AA, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm in the wrong So, Ron, what I'm asking is, so uh, if there is. Uh, what do we call them? What is it called? It's just let's let's call it a re- we can call it a reformed church. I mean, because these guys are talking about reformed stuff, but there are different churches, that's for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Right, and I've heard uh, RC and MacArthur debate, so I know they aren't right. Exactly. So, so I, I'm I, not sure what to submit, but what I'm trying to get to is would you guys, I mean, you left a church, so you, and it's... It was called the Reformed Church. The Reformed Church. Right, but then the the, but not very reformed. They're really reforming now if they're going to bring in women, I guess. It's very popular in Reformed Church. Right. Yeah, you're, you're staying there. And there's, right. a, there's quite a vast difference. And, and how about you, Spencer? What are you doing here? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> oh, I, I don't really know. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I got invited and I just like, I came with you. There were streets. Joe Sweet talked me into it. No. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I mean, Joe's kind of had invited me. And I, you know, I know there's, there's a lot of things that, in past discussions that I've agreed with Joe on, theologically speaking. And there's been some things that, that I mean, for the most part, I agree with Pastor Ben, and I have no qualms with Pastor Ben's preaching or anything. Um, there's nothing that's like a huge red flag that I'm like, what did he just say? But there's things that he said, things I'm like, eh, I don't, I don't know that I agree with that. And, sure, right. Um, I grew up with a, definitely a more Reformed-leaning theology in the church that I grew up going to. And then just in, in my family, that was just kind of the, the brand of a Christianity that was, uh, that was tend- tended to be adhered to. And, um, and in my own reading of scripture, I just think that that's, um, and in reading writings of you know, some of the Puritans and some of these other guys and, and some of the reformers, that I just think it's pretty, um, pretty spot on. And I think it is kind of scary, the fact that there's a lot of mainstream churches that are definitely taking a, a wide turn into not good places. And so I think, you know, if we could get something that's definitely more using this is our base, bar none, you know, that's it. Um, I think it would be a great thing to introduce into the community. So I, I think that's that's more my my I, my thinking, is if, if it did end up becoming more of like a church plant idea, mm-hmm. um, I think it would be great to have a very Bible-focused um, church. Because as far as... Um, the few churches I've gone to in the area, um, I think Calvary is one of the, Ben does a very good job of keeping it very Bible-focused. Because um, the church that my wife and I left was a Baptist church, but it was very much not Bible-focused. Like, it was, but it was more excerpts to fit the topic of discussion, <laughs> mm-hmm. which then takes everything out of context and gets real muddy real quick. Mm. And that was why we left. Mm. And then Ron's going to uh, Harrison Square, which I, Ron, would they call themselves the Reformed Church? I mean, it's PC USA, yes. which is the really yes. liberal. It's like, they, they consider themselves Presbyterian or Reformed. Yeah. Um, they disagree with a lot of the PC USA policies, right. but not. Well, like I explained before, we wouldn't be part of the PC USA anymore, except that. Presbyterian holds our, our mortgage. Yeah. yeah. Until we pay it off. That's they get it. That's a frustrating trick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't think they think of themselves as highly reformed at all. I was reading a commentary on Apostles' Creed, and one of the pastors came in, asked what I was reading, and told him. I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was a marginal comment 
about the value of the Apostles' Creed. And I think that that is representative mm -hmm. of their thinking. They're part of this group that's wandering away. Mm -hmm. They're not taking sharp turns. It's very gradual. Um, so here, and here, I would love to see this place turn into a church so I could get into a real <laughs> Reformed church. So there's no real adherence to like creeds or confessions or traditional Reformed hymns or anything like, is there anything like that in the Harrison Square? Or? Like, I mean, I don't, I I don't think I'm, I'm not, not really gone I didn't grow up in a Reformed church, a okay. Christian church. Um, and the, the hymns we sing are the song, the hymns I sang in the Christian church. Uh, the uh, choruses we sing are the choruses they sing all over in the church today. Mm -hmm. It's not bad music, but it's not the best music. Mm -hmm. In my in my response, mm -hmm. it's not. It's like they're preaching. It's not bad preaching, but it's not the best preaching. It's not focused on scripture. Right now, we're doing a series on. Uh, where the seven words that I forget what they what they say seven words that will change your life or, or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. No, yes, thanks, sorry. And there's application in those things, mm -hmm. but are they scriptural? Mm -hmm. Well, in one sense yes, and in another sense they're irrelevant. <laughs> they flow out of what we believe about scripture. Mm -hmm. Well, they, plus "shut up" is a hyphenated <laughs> word. Yeah, so. <laughs> 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 That's, that's just a word for dads. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> just a word for um, Anyway, I call it an evangelical church. It's yeah. not really reformed. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. And when I first kind of came under the idea of reform, uh, reformational doctrines and whatnot, I probably put them in the same category that I put like fundamentalist churches. Not, not in, in terms of believing the same things, but in terms of their kind of radical devotion to the purity of the word. And, the, you know, when I think of like a fundamentalist Baptist, which I'm not, um, I think of somebody who is absolutely unashamed of the Bible, will, will, you know, preach in the streets, go door to door. You know, they'll do things that I wouldn't do. But, you know, we both are kind of expressing our passion out of the same foundational devotion to the word. And then I realized that in the Reformed tradition, there's a lot of liberal lukewarmness. And so, and that's the kind of thing that's like, I understand why Christ says he'll spit that out because that's disgusting. <laughs> you know, I'd much rather take the fundamental brother who I disagree with on end times and, you know, in, but who is absolutely devoted to, to the word. Yeah. Um, for sure. Yeah. yeah, to answer your question, I wouldn't go to church because it had reform on it. That wouldn't. Necessarily to make it more interesting. Unless the church I'd have to go to the, the church. Yeah. yeah, maybe the remnant, because I want to be a part of that. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to miss out on that. <laughs> um, I, I don't have any marriage to the ref, the word reform, because I've seen too many different yeah. forms of the reform. Sure. So yeah. it just it doesn't mean much to me anymore. And that's why this was really interesting to me, because yeah. um, if the reform really means that, and it seems like what he's saying is, it's the Bible everything's based in the Bible, the Bible needs to be continually, then I'm on board 100%. Mm -hmm. and and that's not what it means in a lot of circles. So I think the flip side of that is too, um, all of the Bible for all of life. Right. Um, it, speaks, it speaks authoritatively on everything of which it for speaks. For sure. Yeah. And it speaks of everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So. Yeah. That's really good. I feel like that's a very 
stark contrast and what maybe RC was even talking about about how you know we start here and then it and then it spreads out you know like it, all the fingers of the sovereignty of God you know coming into all the crevices and cracks of our lives. Whereas it seems that the majority of churches today, it's like oh here on Sunday I sing a song done. Mm-hmm. Back, back out, back, back to normal. Back to normal. Yeah. Yeah, and that's unfortunately I think that. Well, it's, it's just super common. Yeah. Like, well, I was at work the other day, and something came up about church or the Bible, and I made a comment about it. And then several other people started making comments about the church they go to, and there was like five people I had no idea they attended any kind of church at all. And I was just like, and you wouldn't have guessed what? Yeah, it's like what? You know, it's like, and I think that's pretty, it's not like super common. I'm not saying it's like all churches, but I think there's a lot of people in, at least in our country, that you go through the motions, you go to church on Sunday, like you said, you sing your song, you take your communion, you listen to the sermon, and try not to fall asleep and go home. And then you're back to normal. (laughs) When we were, um, when Elizabeth and I were visiting uh, a Catholic church because the host, the, the gal that was hosting us in Barcelona when we were uh, touring Barcelona, she was Catholic, and so she took us to church with us. And we and we got there, and she's a very devoted Catholic. And we sat down in the church, and it was pretty much empty. And then the church started, and I looked behind, and the entire place was filled. And they'd gone, they'd all come in like in the last two or three minutes, but they'd come in silently. And then the moment it was gone, it was empty again. Mm-hmm. It was like they showed up, they did their thing, and then they were gone. And it was, you know, kind of like that, what you would expect out of just that nominalism of like, yes, I'm doing this, I'm checking the boxes, but it's, it's a, an additional thing to my life. It's maybe even a, a hindrance, like I got to go do this. So, um, whereas what, Alan, you were just saying, it's all of Christ for all of life, all of the Bible for all of life. This, mm-hmm. this is uh, the, the, the Lord's Day is the crowning achievement of the week. <laughs> That's what we look forward to. On page 45, he talks about um, the kind of covenant theology. Um, it says, Reformed evangelicals are also covenantal. Um, the covenantal succession, now uh, that's, that's a great one to talk about because that's been, you know, I kind of came into the idea of covenant succession right at the beginning of having kids. Um, and... Uh, Where do you see? Oh, I see them. Yeah, yeah middle, middle of 45 there. Um, and so I just kind of wanted to hear what you guys thought about that, the idea of, or how, how comfortable you are if you're not totally on board with the whole covenant succession idea or, or the kind of the covenant, uh, covenantalism, um, if you had any strong opinions one way or the other on, on that idea. We acknowledge that our children are born into this world in need of Christ. We don't assume that just because you're a part of a Christian home that you don't need Christ, but we do assume that by coming into a Christian home, by being born into a Christian home, you have access to the promises of God in a way that the non-Christian child does not. Not that you have, um, not that you have a, uh, like you have less sin or less need to be saved, but that just as the, the baby Israelite was born an Israelite, they didn't choose to become an Israelite, they just were, the, the Christian that is born into the Christian home, the, the baby that's born into the Christian home, is assumed to be a part of God's people and discipled as such. Mm-hmm. 
what are your guys' thoughts on so that? So would you add to that until proven otherwise or something like that? Is that like, how do you... <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I would. I think yeah. I think a lot of Christians actually do the opposite. Right. They, ex, they exclude them like until, until yeah. you know, you're they, not really one of us until you start showing... Yeah. Showing your right. your you know your Christian Christian chops. Right. Or they think we should do the opposite. You're one of us until you start proving. Yeah. Until you yeah. start you know you're rejecting rejecting yeah. Christ. Yeah. And I, so I was okay. Yeah. No, I I just I didn't mean to be flippant about that. Sure. I just I just meant that that's I mean that is my perspective that um, you're my part of my family. This is what Odell's do. Yeah. We're we're followers of Christ and so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Uh, I had one of my. One of my kids, uh, it, it was several nights of prayer and tears. They announced to me that they didn't know if they believed. Hmm. And it was, you know, she was going through a struggle, and now she's our most devoted. But, um, but she, you know, she called me in with tears in her eyes. She said, I just don't know. I just don't know. Yeah. This doesn't, you know. And, and like usual, it's, uh, it's something that has nothing to do with her belief in God. It's something else yeah. going on in her life, and, you know. Sure. But I think... I didn't say, oh, okay, you're out. She still was in the family Bible <laughs> study the next morning. We were still praying, you know, so we're going to pray. At least come on in, we're praying, you know. Yeah. Just so it's, I, I think that's important, sure. Yeah. And there's several scriptures that support that, in my opinion. I think I, I you know, I think I mostly agree with the covenantal theology and, and, um, what that looks like. I don't know that I know everything about the covenantal succession that he's referring to. Yeah, I'm um, not sure what that is. But I thought it was a little bit, uh, you know, you know I'm said too where, you know, our kids aren't baptized. That's not something that I feel really strongly about that the kids should be baptized. And I haven't had them taking communion at an early age either. You know, that's something that you and I did wrong. But, mm-hmm. um, sure. I mainly because I've seen it, seen it in our church, and yeah. and saw where it was more of an entitlement. It was more of a oh, this is just what you do. Mm-hmm. It wasn't made a special thing. Um, and I can see how kids growing up in a in a, in a church home in a church family could acquiesce to that. It's like mm-hmm. oh, this is just what we do. And yeah. the, the importance of it gets lost after years and years in a home, maybe where it's the same thing. And you'd hope. They don't, but I mean, how do you got to try to find new ways, right, to make it interesting, make it real? I think making the Bible and making the gospel relevant to them in whatever situation they're at, I think, is becoming more and more evident to us as our kids are getting older. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that, I think, is key. Mm-hmm. But part of this statement here, then, too, about um, elders and I was interesting. I was like, well, that we share Paul's conviction and submit his requirement that elders have well disciplined and believing children. And I kind of thought, well, uh, how do we know that they're the elect? Um, honestly, it's like, okay. That's what covenantal succession is. We want, we want to raise them up and we want to bring them up in the Lord. And it's our duty to do that with all due diligence. But what does that mean? You know, what if they, what if they reject the gospel? At an age, at age 14, 16, I don't know. It's like, yeah. I've often wondered that. Does that then make that person unqualified to do the, you know, to stay in the role they're in? Yeah. I mean, you know, that's. You mean if an elder's son. Yeah, because like the, the church that, that my wife and I met, we both kind of grew up in, um, 
several of his the the pastor's children are are very gone astray like some very worldly ideas um and one of them I kind of question is his faith at all and uh you know does that disqualify him from being a pastor or you know and likewise I'd say the same thing does that disqualify someone from being an owner yeah same same thing what if uh so you know, we know one of the qualifications of, of an elder is is that you know, um, you know, husband of one wife who has children who who are who believe and are not given to dissipation. So, um, so I mean, it's explicitly, it seems to be, <laughs> explicitly a requirement that your children believe to be in the position of elder, um, and or deacon because elders and deacons basically have the same requirements, um, and I think that where covenantal succession comes in and. This was this was never an issue for me because I came I kind of embraced the reform doctrines at the same time I was embracing covenantal succession, which is just the idea. I'm not sure exactly if he's going to define this differently later on in the book, but which is just the idea that your children belong to God, just in the same way that uh, in, in De- uh, Deuteronomy God God says I'll be faithful to your children to a thousand generations for those who love me. And for those who don't love me and who rebel against me, you know, your kids are going to bear that for three to four generations. Yeah. Um, it's like the sins of the fathers and the faithfulness of the father passed down to his children. Um, and, and I think that's, we know it's explicitly true from real life. <laughs> we see that, you know, the, the, the father who's drunk has children who are likely to struggle with that sin um, to the third and fourth generation, which is really, you know, Doug, Doug Wilson's fond of pointing this out. It's a blessing that it only happens to three or four generations. God's cutting off the wickedness of the fathers so it doesn't continue to affect them for years to come. But that the faithfulness will be extended, his grace will be extended to a thousand generations, which is, I think, a, a word of saying forever, you know, a way of saying forever. Right. Um, and so I think that in terms of the qualifications for an elder, first of all, us as men, we should assume that our children... Uh, let me rephrase that. Let's not say assume. We should believe the promises of God that he will be a God to our children and to our children's children. And we should not treat them as short heathens until they prove otherwise. That we should include them at the table after they've been baptized because baptism is the entrance into God's covenant. It's like the, the formal entrance into God's covenant. Communion is the weekly reminder that you belong to Jesus. Um, and that we should that we should do that, we should bring them into the covenant in a, in a visible, explicit way through baptism and through the Lord's Supper um, because they belong. And I think kids, they're, you know, we're just to have the faith of a child. A kid will understand, a child, a baby will understand inclusion and exclusion right away. That's an easy concept for a little, little toddler to understand. Am I included? Am I in? Am I apart? Oh, I'm not. The, the bread and the wine, they're passing me by because I do, I'm not really... I'm not quite a good enough Christian yet to be fed by Jesus. That's, you know, that ultimately I think that's maybe the message that kids are being taught. And I think that's one of the reasons why oftentimes we see a lot of apostasy within Christian kids because they've been taught that they, that until they reached a certain height or had a certain intellect or, or something they had to do, it was something dependent upon them that would kind of ensure their place in God's kingdom. And I think that can be really destructive. And so I think that's the covenantal succession idea, is that treat your kids as Christians. Expect of them what you would expect of a Christian. And when they sin, and when they break God's law, hold them accountable as you would a Christian. 
don't don't think like, well, they're just a little heathen. What do you expect? No. <laughs> you know. Teach them the word. Teach them the word. But absolutely. That's, that's not your question. Is so I, let's say I have question, an elder. My question, and, and I think it's an opinion for everyone here. Right. It's like, well, what do you see of that? You know, is that how you would see the position of pastor elder? And if they technically didn't have believing children, I mean, where does children? Stop. Is it age eighteen? Is it yeah. a different age? Does that mean if your if your kid is eighteen and they've strayed away from the church, then it's okay? Yeah, you're back into the fold. We had we had an elder. Once he turns eighteen, hey, my son's eighteen. Can I be a elder again? Can I be elder again? <laughs> at our at our church in Spokane, we had an elder and a deacon, both who um, had kids that apostatized, and they stepped down that next Sunday. And it, what, it is was, what do you mean by apostasy? They came under church discipline. They, well, for one kid, he renounced his faith, like explicitly okay. renounced his faith, and so that next Sunday, so so they put him under church discipline. Um, uh, and the other the other girl ran off with a guy, um, and uh, so that next Sunday it was the the, the, the father stepped down. Um, so at least in that particular so church, you believe that that's appropriate. Yeah, I think it's appropriate. Okay. I, and I think I think it's a it's a verse that just gets disobeyed because if it was actually obeyed, we'd have like seventy five percent of our pulpits empty next Sunday. <laughs> well, yes, but I mean, um, I guess the question to me is, if I believe my, if I believe in this, what is it, secession or whatever? Um, if my son is going on a terror, rant terror for a week because he's, I don't know, um, do I, okay, well, sorry, my son is gone. He's, he, he said he didn't believe the other day, so I need to step down. I'm sorry. And then the next week he comes back and says, I'm sorry, Pop. I don't know what I was thinking. I actually, you know, please, you know, accept me back. In the, I mean, I just seems that's, that seems a little bit strange to me. And, and if it's, so where do we, where do, that's why I asked, what do you mean by apostatize? So in, in, in my, my case, daughter announced that she didn't believe, but I didn't accept it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, so right. I, I, I guess that's, that's the area that I, I mean, I, I can see that if she was under your protection, she didn't have a choice. Right. right. <laughs> no, so I don't know. In, the, in, those, in both of those situations, I think I, I made it appear like this all happened within the seven day window. With the girl running off with the guy, she had actually been under discipline, so he stepped, once she officially, they did the Matthew 18 model where she mm-hmm. was approached multiple times, refused to repent, and so at that point, he stepped down with fully intending to, to resume his duties should she, should she uh, repent and come back. Mm-hmm. So, so it wasn't like, uh, I, I think if you, know, you have a son that rebels for a weekend, that's not the same thing as the prodigal son running away from his father mm-hmm. for several, maybe several years, maybe several months, you know, like yeah. clearly has no, it's not, he's not just mad. He's going through a period of like deep rebellion. Mm-hmm. And I think what Paul says is that if you can't manage your own family, how can you be entrusted to manage the household of God? And I think that's why it's so important that we, that we maybe just keep talking about it because I think that it's, I find that one to be pretty clear. I find that to be as clear as women can't be in leadership. Um, but but it's one thing to have it be clear and another thing to actually go out and apply it. <laughs> Kevin until succession. No, sorry, the, uh, the, um, the, the elders and deacons needing children who believe. 
Well, I, mean, I think there's wisdom in, a, in someone who is an elder who's having trouble with their family to say, I got to focus on my family. Right mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's more that, I mean, that's, I think there's some real wisdom in that to say, I, I, my son's rebellion and my daughter's running off with this guy. I, yeah. I'm sorry, church. This is my focus. I've got to focus in on my family. I got to get him back, you know, on, you know. I think you so, have a little variation in how this works too, Joe, because covenantal succession, I mean, when he uses 1 Corinthians 7, 14, Ephesians 6, 1 to 3, and uh, Acts 2, 3, and 9, I mean, I, I don't see he's even applying those verses accurately. Yeah. yeah. I think what he's doing there could be, uh, they could be covenantal, covenantally um, sanctified, but not holy, because everybody comes to Christ the same way, whether yeah. you from your family or from an unbelieving family. But, but I understand what you're saying. I just think there's a little room in there. Um, when I grew up in the Plymouth Brethren Church. Hey, that's my grandparents were in that church. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, and so sometimes I would go over to friends' house, houses after church, and I'd go, wow, this is different than my house. <laughs> Um, and that's fine. That wasn't, uh, you know, as a kid, I'm not really processing that. But as I look back on it, I don't think they looked at how they raised their kids, even though poor Cornelius ended up in prison. more successful. You know? Yeah, no <laughs> but, but I think they saw themselves as people that were trying to do what this is asking of here and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it just didn't quite pan out the way that you raise your kids in a little different way, and Spencer probably a little different, and, right. and you guys and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. but I but I but I yeah. but I wouldn't have a trouble. I, I don't have any trouble with you understanding it and applying it and believing it the way you do. Yeah, um, I think it works fine. But you know as well as I do, if you have Charles with some of the same questions that. Thad's daughter had, you're going to have to address it just like oh, yeah. you with me. And, and that's good. So I'm yeah. just saying there, there's a little room, some wiggle room in here in how you apply that. Sure. And you wouldn't want to apply it too strongly where Luke's going, well, I'm in the Reformed Church. The kids are good. And I <laughs> sure. got, he's got the principal at school saying, Luke, it's not really the way it is. <laughs> Uh, I'm just joking there, of course. Of course. But but I'm just saying there's room. There's room in here to understand that, yeah, what's the chances of a guy coming to know the Lord from a totally ungodly family? Well, it's God's sovereign. Well, and I think atheists use that argument all the time, like, well, all of you guys have just fallen into religion your parents brought you up in. It's not not your own thoughts. But but it's actually, that's, that's an argument for the, for you know, a common creator that you God made the world in such a way that kids turn out like their parents. So whether you believe in covenant succession or not, it happens. That's the majority of the way that the gospel is spread throughout the world is by parents raising their kids to love Jesus. Blessing or curses? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Unto blessings or curses. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I'm with that's you. Why I, the, I wasn't um, trying to bring up. Sure, that I really that's, disagree. That's just how the uh, Mormon Church gets numbers, isn't it? They just birth them. Yes, outbreed us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, like in our current society, there's this whole idea like, well, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't pigeonhole your kid into a gender identity. You've got to let them make the decision themselves, right? And we all go, oh, that is ridiculous. That's absolutely obscene. Sure. Well, I think in the same way with, 
you know, I wouldn't, I know what the truth is. Why would I let myself, no, you got to make up your own mind regarding whether mm-hmm. you're going to follow God or not. You know, why would I, why would I give my three or four or five year old that choice? Like mm-hmm. that's a heavy choice. And I know what the truth is. So I'm just going to tell them like, we follow Christ because, yeah. you know, like, this is how things, yeah. things are. That's for me and my house. Yeah, that's right. We're going to serve the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's where that's what that was one of the most persuasive things about baptism, when I kind of came to a, a, a different understanding of what baptism signified was that it wasn't. I I'm convinced now that baptism is not I have decided to follow Jesus, and more it's the declaration that Jesus has decided to bring us into His family. And so when my kids are rebelling, I say I tap them on the forehead and I say, whose name is on your head? Mm-hmm. Jesus put His name on your head. He marked you out for Himself. That means you don't get to follow the passions of the flesh. You get to follow, you know, you get to follow walk in the spirit because he's he's marked you out for his own. Um, but that's just once again reaffirming to our kids that you belong. You're not an outsider waiting for that magical time when you pray the prayer and ask Jesus into your heart and now you're one of us. You're one of us. And and, and you're you you belong to this church, you belong to this family. You don't have to wonder if you're a stout, you don't have to wonder if you're no doubt, you are. Just in the same way, you belong to Jesus, and it doesn't mean you can't rebel. That it comes with great responsibility, and I think with the idea of the elders and the deacons having to step down if their kids disbelieve, I think that just is a, is a wonderful um, thing to teach our kids. Like you can throw this all away. God has given you the free agency or whatever it is, the capacity to sin and to throw it all away. And dad would have to step down from his job, from his role as elder. And you would become under discipline of, the, of our church. And, you know, th- th- these things would have consequences because you belong. Um, not because, oh, he's a teenager and what do you expect? You know, it's like, no, we, we expect far differently. Uh, with that in mind, what are you guys... Uh, ecclesiology or I think ecclesiology is the right word the idea of the, how church government is structured um, does I mean I'm I'm obviously coming more more Presbyterian idea more more in favor of like elder elder rule not a not a church democracy where the church votes on everything but like trusted elders kind of that representative form of government where the elders are representing the people does do you guys have uh, different Viewpoints on that are different. I know, and I'll just I'll just say this: uh, Calvary Chapel is all about the Moses model. It's like there's Moses; he's at the top; he's in charge of everything, and everybody's subordinate to the pastor. I I don't agree with that model. Um, I think in our Calvary Chapel, it's okay because Ben's a wonderful guy. Uh, but I think that if you're in a situation where you don't have the wonderful Moses at the top, <laughs> that that form of kind of Government maybe wouldn't be as good. I would be less comfortable with that. But I don't have strong opinions on on that. Does anybody here have? I didn't know exactly if that's how it worked at Calvary. I guess. So there's no elder board. There's no. No, there's elders. Um, They just don't have any say. They do have say. Um, It's that. It's all under. It's all under. (laughs) (laughs) No, they do. They do. Um, uh, The way Ben's explained it to me is that anything with two heads is a freak. So there needs to be one. <laughs> 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 sounds like Ben. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like Ben. 
but but I know Chuck Smith came up with. I think he oh, called it the yeah, Moses yeah, model, yeah. and so but but there is an elder. There are elders, and they have to be men. So that's that's one of the many reasons why we're still there. Is that just men, or is that a across the denomination that there Great is quite, I don't know. Yeah. I assume it's that's one is a little different because I say that's surprising from what yeah. I know about Chuck Smith. I, I thought maybe it's pretty independent yeah. each one. So that's, I did in some of my conversations with Ben he did mention that you know really each one is can be very yeah. pretty different. Right. right. Because they're not governed by, you know, hey these set of right. like you all have to adhere to this type thing. Yeah. Um, I mean I definitely agree with you know the biblical eldership where the elders, you know, do make up the the most of the decision or the rule of the church necessarily, but um, I don't know that I'm a, against having the church, you know, vote on things necessarily when it, I guess, uh, you know, OCRC would vote in the elders. And sure. The so, I mean, I think that's appropriate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, otherwise... So and so with the CREC, they would vote in. They would vote in elders, and and I think your vote even mattered. I think it did. <laughs> it might have been just like it may have been like you voted in unless it was wasn't unanimous. If it wasn't unanimous, then they kind of went back to the idea of like, well, what's going on? Why did why are ten percent of the why does ten percent of the church have a problem with this? Mm-hmm. Um, You'd vote, and then the electoral college would just <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh wait, sorry. And and we also did um, heads of household were the ones that voted, not. Husbands get a vote, wives get a vote, kids over sixteen get a vote. That that's crazy. That's that's why we <laughs> that form of democracy is nuts. Uh, I would disagree with wholeheartedly with like multiple votes based off of age or you know if you're the head of the household, then that household gets a vote, um, as opposed to like the husband and wife canceling others' votes out. And I don't know, maybe you guys have different viewpoints on that, but yeah. I guess I haven't thought about um, they didn't do heads of household. It was just members need to be official members and yeah I don't have a problem with members versus but they would give yeah but but husbands and wives would each get a vote so I, I don't know yeah the reason why I think it matters in just just to think about this because I know we gotta probably close yeah, up yeah, yeah I know um, well we gotta watch the video yeah that's right <laughs> the, the reason why I think it matters is because households need to be unified and if a household so therefore, each household's really just one vote, anyways. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like when the ballots come in the mail. It's not if if both the husband and wife have one's a Republican, the other's a Democrat, then essentially they're not voting. <laughs> the house divided against itself yes. cannot stand. Exactly. Yeah, we're doing okay. I voted for Trump. I'm sure she canceled me out. <laughs> She's voting for Trump this time. <laughs> Actually, that's funny. I voted for Trump, and Aaron decided not to vote because oh, really? she didn't want to vote for Trump, and she absolutely wasn't going to vote for him. <laughs> so she just didn't vote. Yeah. She just couldn't. I think there's there's enough kind of male kind of ugly stuff about Trump. Just the side personality stuff that she just didn't feel good about giving them. But there are enough alternate candidates on the ballot. You don't have to vote for the two that were the top. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I voted for Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> right in. <laughs> oh, he, he wasn't a right in. He literally yeah, he, really he, he, he won too. Yeah. Oh, man. I am not. <laughs> 
You think about yeah, there's a lot of good things compared to today's oh day. I mean, he was like a saint. That's what I was just thinking, man. Looking back on, man, oh, oh, if Nixon ran right now, I think I would vote for him. Yeah, well, then that's even though. I heard somebody somebody describe Trump as, and I thought this was the perfect description, he said, Trump is a 1980s Democrat. Mm. And it's like, that's absolutely what he is, because back in the 1980s, you actually had sane Democrats and sane Republicans. (laughs) And now you no longer do. Now you have spineless Republicans and crazy Democrats. (laughs) And psychotic Democrats. Psychotic, exactly. Well, we should should probably close up. Um, Yeah. See, does anybody want to close this prayer? I can. Okay. I will. We're a little past our time, huh? Normally. Yeah. Lord, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time, and I thank you for uh, these men here and for our discussions and uh, just your word that you give to us. And just pray, Father, that you would be working in each one of us, that your spirit mm-hmm. would guide us, that you would give us wisdom in uh, the things that we do and the things that we say and, um, and how we bring up our families and, and just all of that, Lord. Uh, we just pray that you guide us and lead us in uh, these discussions going forward and thank you for the opportunity to do so. Yeah, we just pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.